Well, hi and thanks again, everybody. And here it is Monday, and you and I are together again, and no basketball, baseball, or high live today. Uh, let's go now to South, South, South Florida. Just about as far south in Florida as you can get. And when we get there, we'll discover an agriculture department office that hardly anyone knew was there. I used to go to Key West, Florida a lot, but once I went there on a special assignment to go to a maximum security island off the coast of Key West where the USDA had an animal quarantine center. It's kind of a complicated story, but it's a necessary one to tell. There is one city in the U.S. where it has never snowed and never frosted, and that is Key West, Florida. And you and I have visited there before. But we have never been on to an adjacent island called Fleming Key, a man-made island that you just can't get to if you want to be there without going through some pretty high security clearances. It seems that Fleming Key is where the Agriculture Department maintains a very special quarantine station. Let me give you a little bit of background on this. We're lucky in the United States that our livestock are fairly disease-free. Major diseases such as foot and mouth disease we haven't had in this country since before the Great Depression. If any of those dangerous livestock diseases were to come into this country and get into our livestock population, it would not only be a big mess, the price of meat would skyrocket nearly overnight. It would take billions of dollars to eradicate some of those livestock diseases. But there are producers in this country who want to bring in animals from countries where there are diseases. How do they do it? Well, there is a special quarantine station on a maximum security island off the coast of Key West. And that's where we're going this week on American Montage. A very gracious gentleman, Dr. Rich Overton, was in charge of overseeing the Harry Truman Animal Import Center the day I went there. It is, as I mentioned, very, very difficult to get to. You have to go through clearances to get onto the island. I mentioned to Dr. Overton that a great number of listeners of American Montage are in rural areas and small towns, and that I am from a small town, but maybe he better start from scratch and explain just why the import center was built. The best thing I can tell you is that if we allowed or had a, a disease outbreak, a foreign animal disease outbreak in the United States, the cost to the industry, and this is the agricultural industry, would be tremendous. But the final cost to consumers, those that uh, utilize agricultural products from uh, even eggs and ham in the morning to uh, a steak at night or to um, the use of other materials that are made from animals uh, would be tremendous. The other consideration would be the suffering of the animals that would be infected with these diseases economic cost would be in the billions of dollars. You're saying billions with a B. Billions with a B, especially a disease like foot and mouth disease. Uh, economic cost from several of the poultry diseases would also probably approach uh, 
the billion-dollar mark, too. The importance of protecting American agriculture, which is APHIS's purpose. Let's let's define that. You you use an acronym there, APHIS, which if, if I still have it right, is the Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service. Yes, that's correct. Uh, this agency, um, which is part of the U.S. Department of Agriculture under the Marketing Division, uh, its major service is to protect American agriculture. And in this case, we're looking at both the animal parts of the agency and also protection of plants. Uh, this includes uh, programs like the boll weevil eradication program, uh, aphid programs with the fruit fly programs. I guess uh, nationally, the one program, and uh, unfortunately it got to be pretty controversial in some ways that people would know about, was or is the recurring medfly problem, particularly in California. I would assume that, I, I mentioned controversial here, you see demonstrators don't spray here, don't do this, is, is the fact that in the case of medfly, the eradication process can be so complicated. Yes, it can be. You're looking at uh, different types of products to be used. Uh, research is still going on for methods of control which do not utilize uh, insecticides. But the, the decisions that are made are made uh, both at a political level and also at the uh, scientific level. I think one of the things that amazes a lot of people when they come back to the states, for example, from overseas, they're prepared to see one, uh, someone from customs and someone from immigration. But they're surprised quite often when there's someone from agriculture there. What are they looking for? I guess it varies from the country of origin, but what kinds of things, for example, if you're going to travel this spring uh, to Europe? Uh, let's start there. What kinds of things might you be asked if you fly back into JFK or Dulles Airport or Atlanta? You'd be asked as to what kinds of fruits you were bringing back, whether you had uh, food products which may contain... Um, uh, if they were improperly processed viruses, which could affect uh, domestic livestock. Uh, the fruit themselves could contain viruses or insects, which could uh, cause problems for the industries here in the United States, agriculture Is, industries. Isn't it difficult, though, for some people, because they're not thinking in terms of a disease that affects people, uh, isn't there a temptation there to kind of discount the threat in a way? I mean, if you were telling people they were bringing something back in that might be harmful to them, that's one thing. But to try to explain to them that, uh, you know, you throw out the garbage or the, uh, the free-roaming deer in your area might eat it or something. I mean, that for some people, particularly city dwellers, that's kind of a stretch of the imagination for them. But unfortunately, Dennis, it's true. And the fact that, that in a lot of cases, garbage is uh, utilized and fed to pigs or the exposure of, of um, vegetable or fruit products to wildlife does exist. And because of that, we... Uh, are ultimately all responsible and ultimately it does affect each consumer. 
Well, now give us an example. I, I was told, for for example, that years ago, before supersonic aircraft, the Concorde, for example, or just regular jet airliners, many of these diseases would die off on the ship coming over. But now a person, I guess, could be on a farm in, to mention a country, Romania or some country where there is a disease we don't have here, and be back on their own farm in Des Moines uh, eight, nine, ten hours later. Well, that is a true problem. It's easy for for those people that are um, both livestock owners and just um, tourists to go to a to uh, a livestock facility or or a um, nursery and even bring back um, things on their clothing or on, on their shoes. And unwittingly, not intentionally, but unwittingly, uh, at least put animals and plants at risk. I have been told, and I, I, this is kind of a family show, but I'm going to use what you might say is the M word here, and that is when a person is in a, a, a feedlot, one of the mediums in which viruses uh, can live is manure. And I read that there's a really tough problem with people who will, will tromp through a, a farm, for example, um, overseas, and then bring their boots back with them without ever cleaning them. That is true, and especially true for poultry and livestock diseases. Our host is Dr. Rich Overton, a veterinarian of renown who has been detailed down to Key West from his usual office in Gainesville, Florida, to oversee the quarantine of llamas and alpacas being brought into the U.S. We've been talking about a variety of things, and I mentioned to Dr. Overton, I had heard a story one time about a family that smuggled a pet bird into the U.S. The bird ended up being sick. It was released and ended up causing millions of dollars in damage to chickens in California. I asked him to tell us that story. The story that I have heard, the same one that you have, is that the uh, a person had smuggled in a bird into the United States and that uh, this bird became ill. Um, apparently was released uh, from the, the owner's premises and this bird wandered onto a commercial egg laying facility, a huge egg laying facility, and at that point in time, uh, within a few weeks, we had an outbreak of Newcastle disease, and the final cost, uh, monetary cost, was somewhere around 66 to $67 million, but that was just part of the cost. There was the inconvenience to the consumers, there were some roadblocks that were put up. Agency personnel spent months away from home trying to battle and control this disease, which we were highly effective in doing. But there still was the uh, monetary cost was somewhere around 66 to $67 million. But that was just part of the cost. There was the inconvenience to the consumers, there were some roadblocks that were put up. Agency personnel spent months away from home trying to battle and control this disease, which we were highly effective in doing. But there still was the cost of lost production, situations where there was a lot. Of, these diseases are very painful 
to animals that become infected with them, just as perhaps the flu or common cold is to us. You see, there's an awful lot to keeping the food supply safe in this country that most people never think about. But if you're a farmer or rancher, you think about it all the time. Back after the break. Welcome back. We're at the Harry Truman Animal Import Center, or we were, and uh, it was an offshore maximum security island off Key West where large animals could be brought into the U.S. for breeding purposes and went through quarantine. It also applied to chickens, for example, and I mentioned to the USDA inspector who was showing me through. I covered an outbreak of avian influenza in Pennsylvania. And I, I don't blame, I mean, here I am in the media. I don't blame the media per se because they only go, if they're honest, from what they know and what they, they feel. And this was in uh, largely in Pennsylvania Dutch country, Amish country in Pennsylvania. And uh, although I will say it, it took a while to get into that because those, those people tend not, they tend to stay among their own and salesmen go specifically there and there's not a lot of intermingling. The point I'm making is the media was so down on the agriculture department, uh, the, the nice word here is euthanizing sick chickens. But when I saw the way these chickens were suffering, walking backward in a daze, choking to death because they had gotten this disease. I had a whole different outlook on the fact that the government was putting these animals out of their, their misery. And you had mentioned that earlier. And I think a lot of people forget that people who work with livestock uh, are, are sensitive to the needs of these animals, not just economically, of course, but I don't think you can work with animals without being a sensitive kind of person. I was very moved by what I saw up there. Well, certainly no one wants to cause harm. Well, better start again. Uh, no one in our agency wants to cause harm or, or uh, create pain for animals. Our major purpose is disease control, and part of disease control in some cases means uh, the humane destruction of, of infected animals so that more animals do not become infected. Uh, the methods that this agency employs in disease eradication, and specifically with, with birds, tends to uh, always emphasize euthanasia and use methods such as carbon dioxide which are painless. It's um, a task that everyone takes seriously. Uh, it's a uh, important aspect of, of people's training and those that are responsible for that duty do take it as a very serious responsibility. Rich, let's go back to something you had alluded to before, and that was the, the pet bird that was smuggled into the country. I would take it 
uh, not to sound as if I'm bashing Mexico here, but so many people go across the border and they see a, a, a bird that if it were purchased in the United States would be five to ten times more expensive. And then they find out they can't bring it across the border. If they're really a, a bird lover, uh, I've heard of people putting them in the hubcaps of their cars. I mean, just incredibly innovative but illegal things where the average mom and pop all of a sudden becomes a smuggler. Well, the major concern that the agency has and the United States government has is twofold, one of which we're interested in disease control, the second of which is the Endangered Species Act, illegally bringing in birds, uh, we're reducing their natural populations in the wild. The probability of creating a larger market which creates more demand to kill or remove young fledglings from the nest is uh, has a long-term and permanent effect on those populations from which those birds are taken. I asked Dr. Overton what he thought the two or three major livestock pests were that Americans need to realize need to be kept out of this country. I'm not even going to limit it to three diseases. The United States has a reputation of being free of most foreign animal diseases. And this is foot and mouth, render pest, a number of equine diseases, uh, avian influenza, avian Newcastle disease, and several diseases in involving swine such as African swine fever and um, hog cholera. I would take it then inherent in that is that there are an awful lot of countries with less organized uh, veterinary expertise that live with these diseases. Well, that's a, that's a hard question to answer. The other countries, um, once a disease is established in another in a country, the disease itself is easier to live with than when we have a population here which has never been exposed. Once a disease, uh, when a new disease comes in, it's an epidemic. It uh, none of the animals have any immunity to it, and there is a large loss initially. But again, one of the most important aspects about protecting American agriculture is that it allows American agriculture to freely export products out of the United States. Our products then are, are sought because they are free of, of certain diseases. Just as an aside, and I don't know how far you want to get into this because there's already some controversy brewing, uh, you mentioned equine, horses. There will be horses coming to the U.S. for the Olympics for those events. Uh, I take it that, that you guys are on top of that, as it were, because I've already heard some producers saying, well, some are coming from countries we don't know what they have. How is that going to be treated? That will be treated uh, both, again, scientifically and politically. That will involve both the U.S. Department of Agriculture and the state of Georgia along with the Olympic committees to come across with a solution to this problem which protects the domestic livestock here in the United States. And I'm sure 
um, that a uh, adequate solution will be maintained. Rich, what about the traveler? And I'm bouncing back and forth here, but uh, again, this is a, a topic I'm trying to, to keep it from what I know on background, uh, not too esoteric so the average person can understand it. Here we are approaching the travel season, um, the big travel season this year. If a person is going outside the U.S., whether it be to just Mexico or Canada, or take a long trip to some foreign country, what things, in addition to immigration and customs, do they need to know to make sure they don't try to bring the wrong uh, food product or, or animal or plant product back into the U.S.? Generally, there isn't much of a problem, except um, there is information that's available through our agency, which uh, can give you a traveler's list of things that, to be avoided, specifically not bringing back live animals without an import permit, which is available from our staff. Um, also, fairly declaring what products you are bringing into the United States. On most international flights, in fact, as far as I know, on all international fl flights arriving in the United States, there is a questionnaire which you fill out. It is important that that questionnaire be completed and reviewed by officials. I understand that in some cases... Um the rules are so stringent that if uh, an airline flight originates in a in a country with uh, an animal disease problem, the uneaten food coming in is burned here. I mean, it's not even tossed out as garbage at the airport. That is correct. Uh, it's that occurs both with airplanes and ship traffic. We are sitting on a, a man-made island that is connected to Key West, and as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, you A, have to know where it is, and B, have to have a darn good reason to come here, and I thank you for letting me on to what in some ways is a, a very secure place. This is the Harry Truman Animal Import Center, and I would probably say that 99.99% of the people in the country have never heard of it before. Why was it built, and why are you here on a Sunday with animals on the other side of a very secure area? Uh, why, why is all of this happening? Well, the purpose of uh, this facility, the, this facility was created by a congressional act back in the early 70s. And the facility was completed in 1979. But the purpose of the facility is to allow for importations of animals from countries where there are foreign animal diseases, specifically render pest and foot and mouth disease. What we do here is is qualify animals for importation that can assist the American livestock producer with new genetic material to increase our productive capabilities and keep us even or ahead of the other producers in the world. <laughs>
Welcome back. I want to remind you again about my easy email address, bingo, B-I-N-G-O, at earthlink.net. Back into the archives for an interview I did when there was a maximum security island off Key West that was open, the Harry Truman Animal Import Center, and it was there to let people bring breeding stock into the U.S., and I ask who was paying for all of that. The cost is borne by the importer. Those people that are bringing in the animals pay all the cost of the importation. This uh, facility pretty much stands alone as far as uh, paying its way. The kinds of animals that have been brought in here include beef cattle from France and from Trinidad, water buffalo from Trinidad, animals for beef cattle from Brazil, pigs from China, uh, some pigs from France, and we've had um, boar goats from South Africa. Well, if you had them all here at once, you'd have a regular zoo. Well, that's correct. Again, uh, as far as uh, really exotic animals go, we've had um, several types of camelids, and this includes both llamas and apacas. Now, that's what you have here now? That's what we have here now, yeah. Can we go see them? Sure. Now, Doctor, why, why do you have a trash bag here? You, well, you're, you're looking at my tape recorder, and you're, you're holding a trash bag. Well, Dennis, what we're going to do is... Um, Secure your tape recorder so we can, you'll be able to take it back out of the facility. Again, as I've already asked you that you and you've told me and you're signing an agreement that you've not had exposure to animals three days prior to arrival, and won't have exposure to animals for seven days. Okay. On the front end, if I had been anywhere where I'd come in contact with an animal that had a foreign livestock pest. I would then be bringing it to these animals. I never even thought about that. Well, the important aspect is we must protect the importer's rights, too. And you wouldn't even have to have a foreign animal disease. You could have a domestic animal disease. Which would be foreign to those animals. That's correct. The purpose of this isolation and quarantine is to keep both domestic diseases out from these animals as long and foreign animal diseases. When these animals are released, they should be completely healthy as they leave this facility, or they aren't released. Okay, so what we're going to do, you want to take everything but the microphone and put in the, uh, in the trash bag here? That's right. All right. And... I wasn't really sure this was going to work, but of course it's a legal requirement. What I was not ready for was the procedure I would have to go through to make sure I didn't contaminate anything. Well, we're now going into the men's locker area where we'll, you're going to have to undress. I what? Yes, that's right. You didn't tell me this. Undress into the shower area. Really? You know, all in the name of duty. That's right. The government requires you to well undress, take a complete shower, and put on a set of their coveralls on the way in, and then reverse it on the way out. Uh, I'd like to introduce you to our importer. She is a doctor of veterinary medicine, and her name is Cheryl Tillman. 
Hi, how are you? Where are you from? Uh, Bend, Oregon. Who are you? I'm Dennis Daly with United Press International. Oh, I do a, a weekly one-hour show, and you notice they had to wrap up my tape recorder. Well, that way you can get it out of quarantine, yes. That's, I, I don't want to leave it down here. <laughs> Tell us, if you will, uh, I, these are the prettiest animals I think I've ever seen. You, you are importing these for what reason? For breeding stock to North American breeders. And is that becoming big business? It has been for about 20 years. Uh, and these animals are from where? These animals are from Bolivia. Well, it's almost impossible to describe them. I was trying to figure out what they... They have the most lovable faces. They stare right at you. And, and they, they look so... Well, I noticed they have pretty sharp-looking teeth, but they look so docile. They're an extremely docile animal. Actually, we have three different types of camelids in this importation facility. We've got two types of alpacas, wakaya and suri alpacas, and then we also have llamas here, too. Okay, now what are we looking at here on the right? Uh, that's a group of suri alpacas. Okay. These are wakayas off to the left. And this is a potpourri of both uh, suri and wakayas, because these are the animals that just have had babies. These are our quarantine babies. Would it be impossible for a, a producer to bring these animals in if it weren't for this facility? Or how much easier does this make it? It's a very difficult process to get an animal in to uh, North America. There's, at this time, this is the only facility available. Uh, unfortunately, you have to bring in a large amount. It would be nice if we could bring in what we call a pallet load at a time, which would be like 22 animals. But um, you have what, about 100 or so here? We have 450. 400? Yeah. Well, I didn't look down the other direction there. Yeah, the, every single pen's full except for uh, where we have our cattle, which are sentinel animals. And this, the cows go here and also over here. Now, the llamas over there, you'll see they're a lot larger. And more oh, colorful. sure. Matter of fact, I happened to watch the uh, movie Dr. Doolittle the other night. Oh, yes. I think there's... <laughs> and uh, I remember that one phrase in there about discussing something with intellectual llamas. Right. The they llamas, do look pretty smart. Uh, the llamas, are, I think, are probably a little bit smarter than the alpacas. Uh, they're, I believe, even smarter than the gold or a pig. Now, why are they so popular? Is it... Uh, the zoo aspect is it the fur? What? Uh, uh, why do you? Why do you bring them in? Yeah, we're way off from the, the zoo. The zoos were popular back, you know, 20, 30 years ago. It's actually an industry in the United States. People uh, buy the, the llamas and alpacas. They have usually small farms, and they don't want to work with an animal that's too large. And right now, it's pretty much a breeder's market. People breed these animals to sell to other people. And I would say there's a large companion animal component, and they like to show them. There's a show circuit. They use the fiber. Uh, the llama is also used as a pack animal. The alpaca is too small for a pack animal, but the llama is certainly large enough for that. These are absolutely gorgeous animals. Yeah, this has been in, in the alpaca industry, started in the United States about 1975. Well, I just, uh, I'm trying to, I've been going for about 10 years. They're just standing there. I used the word docile before. They have a great deal of dignity about them. They do. I think that's one of the, the attractions to people. They're, they're a very beautiful animal. It's kind of like the Arabian horse market. The better the, the animal looks to the eye, the more the animal will bring. If the animal is homely, uh, but short wool, they will not demand the high prices as a beautiful woolly animal would.
What beautiful animals, and it is genuinely wonderful that the USDA has such a facility on the maximum security Fleming Key off the coast of Key West, Florida, to make it possible to bring animals like that into the United States for breeding purposes and make sure they don't bring anything with them that would spoil American livestock. You have a little factory here almost. We are self-supporting here if there is a uh, hurricane or any other kind of um, weather problem. We can operate uh, and care for these animals regardless. In fact, Dennis, right now you're in a, a, an approved hurricane shelter building. I was going to say, looking at the construction, if I'm ever down here in a hurricane, I think this is one place I would want to be. Right, we're uh, about 12 feet above sea level, and this is a structurally very sound building. It's all uh, structurally... Uh, concrete, reinforced concrete with a concrete ceiling. I want to wrap things up here because the clock is eating us up, but let me ask you from a personal standpoint. You're usually headquartered in Gainesville working at the veterinarian's office there. You've pretty much dedicated your life to, to animals and to livestock. What is it like to be a part of this? To know that this is a unique kind of thing and that you are making possible something that before this building was built certainly wasn't here but is is a very different kind of experience i mean i'm sure there are a lot of veterinarians who would have never worked with a llama or an alpaca well that's true i think um i was raised on a farm and i come from a livestock family um owned and, and cared for horses and cattle and sheep and i see this facility as Again, an opportunity to allow the American farmer to compete internationally. It allows uh, us to produce better quality animals for the consumer at lower cost. The purpose of this facility, again, is twofold. Protection of the livestock industry here in the United States and the ability to bring in new and varied genetic livestock, seed livestock, into the country. I must ask one thing, and that's the fact we had mentioned that there is information available for the international traveler. Uh, what's the best contact? I, I'm, I hasten not to say right Washington because people see that as this large bureaucracy. They may not get an answer. Every state, though, has its own veterinarian, does it not? Right. You have both the state veterinarian's offices and the USDA Animal Health and Plant Inspection Veterinarian's Office. Richard, thank you very much. Thank you for coming, Dennis. Welcome back. Boy, that was a lot of fun. Brought back a lot of memories of my time at the Agriculture Department, a real side trip on my career, and all those wonderful trips I took to Key West. Now I thought we'd have a little fun. I put together a library of famous audio cuts. See if you can recognize any of these. You must believe me when I tell you that I have found it impossible to carry the burden of responsibility and to discharge my duty as king as I would wish to do without the help and support of the woman 
I love. How horrible, fantastic, incredible it is that we should be digging trenches and trying on gas masks here because of a quarrel in a faraway country between people who who know nothing. The Battle of France is over. The Battle of Britain is about to begin. Hitler knows that he will have to break us in this island or lose the war. Let us therefore brace ourselves to our duty and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and its Commonwealth last for a thousand years, men will still say, this was their finest hour. We interrupt this program to bring you a special news bulletin. The Japanese have attacked Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, by air, President Roosevelt has just announced. The attack also was made on all naval and military activities on the principal island of Oahu. Yesterday, December 7, 1941, a date which will live in infamy, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. I regret to tell you that very many American lives have been lost. With confidence in our armed forces, with the unbounding determination of our people, we will gain the inevitable triumph, so help us God. General Dwight D. Eisenhower. People of Western Europe, a landing was made this morning on the coast of France by troops of the Allied Expeditionary Force. This landing is part of a concerted United Nations plan for the liberation of Europe, made in conjunction with our great Russian allies. We interrupt this program to bring you a special news bulletin from CBS World News. A press association has just announced that President Roosevelt is dead. The president died of a cerebral hemorrhage. All we know so far is that the president died at Warm Springs in Georgia. Let us pray that peace be now restored to the world and that God will preserve it always. Will you, to the utmost of your power, cause law and justice in mercy to be executed in all your judgments? I will. Will you, to the utmost of your power, maintain the laws of God and the true profession of the gospel? Will you, to the utmost of your power, maintain in the United Kingdom the Protestant Reformed Religion established by law? All this I promise to do. I now close my military career and just fade away. An old soldier who tried to do his duty as God gave him the light to see that duty. Goodbye. The whole world is thankful that negotiations at San Mundion have brought the fighting in Korea to an end by the signature of an armistice agreement. Let me ask you one simple question. Do you, Ambassador Zorin, deny that the USSR has placed and is placing medium and intermediate range missiles and sites in Cuba? 
Yes or no? Don't wait for the translation. Yes or no? I'm not. I am not in an American courtroom, sir, and therefore I do not wish to answer a question that is put to me in the fashion in which a prosecutor does. In your court, sir, you will have your reply. I'm prepared to wait for my answer until hell freezes over. Is that your decision? Ladies and gentlemen, we have a press report over the wires. We hope that it is unconfirmed, but we have to doubt it, that the President of the United States has been the victim of an assassination. <laughs> Two priests who were with President Kennedy say he has died of bullet wounds. I didn't shoot anybody, sir. I haven't been told what I'm here for. You have a lawyer? No, sir, I don't. He's been shot. He's been shot. Lee Oswald has been shot. Greatest to you, America, the first part to set foot upon your land blesses you with all this power. We will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual. Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. My brother need not be idealized or enlarged in death beyond what he was in life. As he said many times in many parts of this nation, to those he touched and who sought to touch him, some men see things as they are and say why. I dream things that never were and say why not. Houston, uh, Tranquility Base is the Eagle has landed. Roger, Tranquility, we copy you on the ground. You got a bunch of guys about to turn blue. We're breathing again. Thanks a lot. Okay, Neil, we can see you coming down the ladder now. I'm going to step off the limb now. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. I'm sure you identified some of those. Some of those you may have had to scratch your head a little bit and figure out what they were, but those were some of the important news cuts in the history of radio, and I thought we might play them today and have a little fun with them. We've got a lot planned for the upcoming months as we move into much nicer weather. I want to remind you of my email. It's bingo, B-I-N-G-O, at earthling.net. I'm Dennis Daly. Thanks again for being here, and uh, I'll see you next Monday. And if you're not here, I'm going to be miffed.